0: when I was, you know, mountain biking and climbing, that was way better than smoking cocaine.
1: You know what I mean? <laughs> like, so like,
0: okay, well let's, let's uh, you know, but at some point if you're overtraining and you're wearing yourself down and you're not hanging out with, you know, in connection with others, cause you gotta get your miles in and you're like, just always prioritizing that as opposed to self care, then you probably should look at it too.
1: This is the Knocking Doors Down Podcast. If you're looking to hear stories of hope, inspiration, and turning your greatest adversities into your advantage, well, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Jason Lachance, and through my addiction recovery and struggles with anxiety and depression, I dug into my passion of speaking with people who have transformed their lives. And my guest is the founder and national executive director of The Phoenix, Scott Strode. On his recovery journey from drugs and alcohol addiction, Scott found self confidence Confidence. He shares how he did so, as well as developing a new identity through physical activity in sports. We also share some amazing insight on how you can get involved, helping other people and being of service in your own community. I've been, I've been Scott Strode, fine. thank you for joining me on Knocking Doors Down.
0: Hey, thanks for having me on.
1: Yeah, it's good to finally connect. And uh, Scott, the way I like to start off and I find... Especially the people I speak to in gratitude are uh, pretty switched on to this already. Um, three things you're grateful for today.
0: Oh, three things I'm grateful for today. I'd have to be um, my my family and my my work or my, my service position, I should call it, <laughs> and um, and then just a continuing uh opening sort of awareness to to how some of the stuff in my early childhood sort of played out in my life in a way that was sort of unhealthy for for others and for me and now as I'm aware of that I can start unpacking it and changing some of those behaviors in a way that I'm contributing more to the world
1: wow I'm 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 really um gave me a little bit of chills that's some area that I've really been doing a lot of work on um do you mind on touching on some of those? Because I know, I I believe you and I are really aligned and science is getting there and more people on You know, we always talked about gateway drugs. Well, I don't know about you. For me, it was trauma and the vast majority of other addicts that I, you know, in recovery that I've gotten to know, same. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, no, I agree. I mean, I don't know how much you want me to jump into it now, but I I think that for me, my, my drug and alcohol use was really born from self-esteem wounds and those wounds were a result of some adverse childhood experience and trauma, you know, so stuff, you know, I had a father with untreated mental illness and I had um, a stepdad who, who had, you know, six to eight martinis at night after work and um, every single night, you know, and maybe it was more, I don't know. But um and then, you know, also just uh I also have dyslexia. So, you know, or in school, like yeah, if it was tough to to fit in around the academic structure and and so instead of looking stupid, it was just easier to cut school and go out and get into some trouble and and that's what I started doing pretty early. So
1: Wow. Uh, you know, I've I've been encountering it more and more of people that have had some learning disabilities that really, I don't know. I think we have a special ability. The more I dig into dyslexia and the skill sets it's actually given me, you know, like I really embrace it now. But I know that struggle. I mean, I felt the same way. I was in third grade going to math for fourth grade and second grade reading and uh, and I was doing terrible there and you know and it was I was getting called a lot of those names you know I mean I have an amazing mom who's supportive and got me help and special tutoring but but it was still the story that I was attaching myself to especially as a kid right and you know and if the, the girl that you think's kind of cute says oh geez you're, what are you going to this, this stupid kid class or something you know hey it it's a wound that kind of sticks with you
0: yeah it, re- it really does and And you kind of feel, you know, like you're always hustling to find like other ways around a more, this more structured system. And, uh, you know, so that fostered this creativity in me, which was great. But, you know, I I sort of joke that it's like, um, you know, imagine kids texting in class, but your phone doesn't have spell check. You know like it would just be that's that's what it was for me as a kid writing notes you know that's what they used to do before before cell phones so like not being able to be part of that that sort of way of communicating and then having to read in front of a class and you know spelling bees and all that and there really wasn't as much awareness around learning disabilities and and um you know that that sort of landed me in in the votech program so i was gonna learn how to make aluminum siding and that was my like life path nothing not there's anything wrong with you know working in a factory making aluminum siding but um i felt like i had more potential than that and i didn't really felt like i was of a scene and uh so for me when i found drinking and drugging i was just like pouring booze on that pain made it go away a little bit yeah
1: yeah. Well, and I, I for for me, um, and I don't believe we had talked about this, but, you know, like uh, pornography was prevalent in my home. And that was kind of what I really found to be the first drug in really looking back and reflecting, reflecting upon my behavior and everything else. It was, you know, it was like, oh, you know, that liquid courage gave me the courage to do all the things that were already stupid and, and insecure guy up in my head. So um, I know what you mean. I, I so know what you mean.
0: Yeah. And I think that's a great thing to highlight. Like, it's just not, I think of it, you know, I talk about this quite a bit. It's like we're trying to find emotional well being externally because Mm -hmm. it's, it's hard to find it in here. And I think when you have those self esteem wounds that I did, I, it was almost impossible for me to find it internally. So looking for whatever that thing is that, that can, you know, give you that little dopamine hit or, or help you feel, you know, a little more empowered or valued or whatever. Um, You know, I think as as somebody in recovery, you know, my negative coping mechanism got loud enough I had to listen to it. Mm. But I think there's a lot of people out there where it's subtle enough that they can kind of, you know, bounce along in life and, you know, damage some relationships with loved ones and whatnot. But because whatever their coping thing is, is a little more accepted by society that that they never really get to to that healing phase you know because it's you know chasing money is sort of respected or admired but if it's at the expensive time with your family and your kids maybe you should look at your relationship with it you know it's it's like anything if it's impacting you or the people you love negatively you need to look at it
1: yeah and And it's tough because we're in a society that has a lot of ills, you know, it's it's the it's the 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 big house, the money, the fancy cars, the attractive partner and so on and so forth. And and yeah, oftentimes we we can continue to do those things. One of my mottos is uh, no outside solutions to inside problems and and i can see it with other people that i co-mingle with that there is still a lot of that and not and not that i don't have my struggles i don't try to get on here and be pious because i because it's an everyday yeah. thing but that's just a human thing to maintain a good you know level of mental health
0: yeah no i think that's good and that humility is key right like it's a journey not a destination and and we're sort of aspiring to to continue on this path but but you know, even if things get tough and, you know, I, I think about this a lot. It's like, um, you know, in, I used to do a lot of endurance sports early in my recovery and got into triathlon and climbing mountains and, and in periodization training, you kind of, you level up and then you, you know, you kind of stretch, make, pick a stretch goal and you push and then you do it again and again, but then you return to this place of like recovering and rejuvenating before you push again, that's actually how you kind of step your way to greater fitness. You know, and I think the recovery journey is that also, like we're not always going up. It's there's times that you plateau and you stay there for a while, and then you have to do some more work and continue to grow. And sometimes you feel like you step back, but you got to remember that that baseline where you started is so much lower than where you are today. Even if you did relapse or even if you did kind of act in a way you didn't want to and you got to make some amends, um, you didn't lose all of the progress you made. You just are have leveled up some. And I think it's just keeping that in mind helps you realize that you're sort of on the journey, not necessarily arrived. I think if you feel like you arrived, then you're probably in more trouble than you think.
1: <laughs> <So>. <laughs> I agree. And I've seen that type of thinking and action knock more people off. I, I, I mean, I'm guilty of it. Don't forget to hit the subscribe button. And if you get a lot out of this podcast, share with a friend. And don't forget the archive of interviews we have. Bam Margera, Brandon Novak, Kat Von D, Charlie Sheen, Edward Furlong, Kelly Osborne. The list goes on and on of amazing guests that have been on the podcast sharing how they have found purposeful lives. Speaking of purpose, how about a lifestyle brand with purpose, 5150LTM. That's right, not only is it a lifestyle brand that can fit whatever it is you're trying to achieve in life, but they give back to the community. And you, the listener of Knockin' Doors Down, get 20% off every time you shop at 5150LTM. All you have to do is use the code KDD20 at checkout and get 20% off. And how does 5150 give back to the community? Portions of the sales benefit the Carlos Vieira Foundation. There are three amazing programs, The Race to End the Stigma, The Race for Autism, and The Race to Be Drug-Free. More on the Carlos Vieira Foundation. Go to carlosvierafoundation.org.
0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank
1: of America and a member FDSE. In addition to terrible boundaries, you know, my last relapse almost three years ago, luckily it lasted for a night um, and I got back on it and I had that. I was fortunate to have that non judgmental support group that just, hey, we're going to pick it back up. But, but I've seen it send so many people back out.
0: Yeah, yeah, and look at just what you said is amazing, right? That relapses one night, you know. Mm -hmm. Maybe it could be, you know, it could be three beers instead of three years, you know. If you're if you're realizing that there's that value there, this innate value, we all have it, right? We all have this intrinsic strength. We all have this innate value, and and we're deserving of love and connection, and and so is everyone else, but. But when you lose that sense of self, then you, you know, if if you've connected to it in the past, I think it kind of keeps you from drifting away into those relapses um, in a way that it's hard to come back from. So that's that's kind of what we do at the Phoenix. You know, it's all about um, the connection that people find when they come. Yeah,
1: well, and and, and I do want to touch on that here in a bit, but you said something else that really, you know, kind of caught my attention about people get really and and guilty as charged as well you know frustrated with the word the the plateau so to speak as you were talking about kind of the leveling up in fitness and and don't really examine how valuable that is i think it really is a lot of the destination syndrome as a part of the journey and the process of it um I don't know what what's kind of your take. I mean, geez, you're you're almost twenty seven years sober now.
0: Yeah, yeah, just just over twenty six, and um and yeah, I I um I actually think that this like polarizing thinking is is a negative coping mechanism. Like, mm. I think we think of There's people that get knocked down and then there's people who stand back up and I'm one that stands back up, you know, like it's, it's sort of this idea that, that there's people that grind and work hard and there's people that don't. And by, by splitting yourself into that work hard group, it's like healing some of that self-esteem stuff. When the truth is we all get knocked down and we all get back up and we all have peaks and valleys and we all have tough stuff in life and we all. For the most part keep going you know mm-hmm. and it's like that keeping going is the tough thing and it's like just talking to somebody about it today here at the phoenix you know it's a rainy day here in boston and and it's some days it's kind of tough when it's dreary out and there's not many people around and the energy's down and you're you know and but i guarantee you the clouds will blow away at some point and it'll be sunny and and we'll come out of that that little valley and hit another peak and just i think narrowing that window is what good recovery looks like you know it's like when when we don't have to go quite as deep and we don't go quite as high too that's the tough part because i think for some of us we miss that we miss those high peaks you know and you realize that it's a little more the frequency is tightened up a bit when you're, when you're in recovery. So the the lows aren't as low, but the highs aren't quite as high. So, but in there you find this, like this, uh, foundation you can actually build on.
1: And yeah. And I, and I think it's really challenging for people and, and speaking from experience to really embrace that, and be like, whoa, this this is a good spot. This is the sweet spot. You know, life is going to present me the ups and downs, but it doesn't mean um, I have to lose my shit, so to speak, <laughs> Like, like yeah. you know, because before that's how it would be like, oh, my God, my parents are having health issues. Well, uh, you know, let's find a drink and, and find the next unhealthy relationship or whatever it is. Um And it's a really beautiful place to get to kind of be in there, that spot. And it's taken me a while to really accept, like, I am in that spot and it's, and it's good. Like, boy, I'm not not getting some crazy huge rush, but wow, I'm not feeling like any real low either. If I do feel down, it passes pretty quick. Um, you know, I can identify when to sit in a moment and when to, like you're saying like, Hey, the clouds are going to pass.
0: Hmm. yeah yeah i mean it's it's um yeah it's something that is is a journey like we said it's just not a not a destination and i think the the thing that i've been really focused on in my career is like helping folks figure out how to build community around mm. this journey because mm. i think when like you know, when I got into recovery, I think it's hard sometimes for families when people step step into recovery because we played a role as as sort of the addict, right? As our substance use um, you know, kind of put us in this role in this sort of um, you can think of it as a theatrical play of the family, right? Or the the group of friends or whatever it is. But when you start to show up in a more um, sort of healed and and um, nurturing way with others. It kind of throws them right because Mm -hmm. they're they're like, no, no, no. You're supposed to be the one who messed up Christmas for everybody or whatever holiday it was or something. And now you're 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 different. Mm -hmm. And then all of a sudden other people in the play start to have to look at their role and what role they've been playing and sometimes the folk the the individual in active addiction you know overshadows other people's negative coping mechanisms and um so you know i think when you find a place when you find a community that believes in you and supports you and 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 loves you for all the parts of you even the tough stuff you know and you find that love and acceptance for them um, then you have something really special, you know, and, and you can support each other in doing really great things, uh, along the way.
1: Yeah. It, and that, that paradigm shift, I mean, I don't, let's see, you and my dad have been sober about the same amount of time and I don't remember it ever being approached with us at all of any kind of family coping thereafter the fact. Because you know, my fat, my dad and I not close teenage years, he's pretty much, you know, absent off on, on his on his stuff. And um and so then in my early twenties when he comes back into the fold, it was butting heads because he immediately wanted to come in and be dad to the kid that was maybe 14 that's now 20 and bring those lessons and and I don't recollect any, you know hey, family, come on in here. Let's have a conversation because the paradigm is really going to shift here. And it did greatly, greatly. And I see that so much with a lot of these families at the nonprofit that I work at. You know the 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 my um the the founder there he'll relay to me, yeah, the hardest thing is getting some of these parents. it's like well, they did thirty days they in a treatment, they're cured now, aren't they? and it's like, oh no, 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 no no, getting the drugs or the alcohol or whatever it is out of the way is just the start
0: mhm it it really is you almost have to like you have to get to know each other again, you know it's i I feel you know, I, I, my recovery happened pretty early, but the real healing, I was probably, you know, six or seven years or, or 15 years in, (laughs) you know, it was kind of a big window, but, um, but, you know, I think for folks that are in relationships or, you know, have kids at the time of getting into recovery, you have to kind of have to get to know each other again in a new way, because, uh, you know, there's there's history there, and and that you know that's why at the Phoenix we say that it's open to anybody impacted by substance use. Sometimes we have the person themselves who's struggling, but sometimes we have loved ones that come with them too, or we have loved ones that just show up because they all they they went through the addiction just on a different side of it, and um, so let's give them a chance to go through recovery together too.
1: Yeah, that's a really um, necessary approach. And, you know, primarily with the Phoenix, of course, you guys are primarily doing stuff in the athletic arena. And what a great way to rebuild camaraderie or build camaraderie for the first time, not only between, you know, strangers and allowing the addict to have a sense of like, whoa, wait a minute. I get to enjoy life and it doesn't involve me going and drinking and drugging and whatever else we did in our addiction. And it's like healthy and I feel good. uh, You know, I mean, what a beautiful opportunity that all you folks, I mean, you're in 28 different locations now.
0: Yeah, we actually are kind of all over the place now. (laughs) We, um, you know, we, we started in, in Colorado, but you know, I had, got sober in Boston and our first funding to go out of state from Colorado was in California and then we finally opened in Boston so it was kind of like bringing it home for me but then we came alongside um the stand together network and I know they've been on your show Brian yeah. Hooks and Colette have been on but um you know the stand together really challenged us They're a group of philanthropists and they said if if you started phoenix again today and you knowing what you know now what you've learned how how many people do you think you could reach you know and we really kind of rethought how we grow this program and so we're now in in every state um and virtual programming certainly but uh in person i think in 40 42 states or something like that and um we're in probably almost 200 communities across the country and it's primarily volunteer led
1: did you ever imagine this that, that let alone that i do want to talk about kind of your aha moment uh of of clarity but uh did you ever imagine that that's where your sobriety would take you not
0: at all yeah not at all honestly i went i my early recovery was probably pretty like selfishly focused, you know? Sure. And I'm not I'm not like beating myself up for that. I just was that's all I could do. You know, it's all I could muster at the time. But, you know, I in I was trying to get into recovery and I saw an ad for this, you know, ice climbing thing. And I was like, I want to do something different. I got to break out. I got to try something different. So I signed up for this class and I tried it. And it was terrifying and, and challenging, but it started to like break apart this, this way I viewed myself and the value that I could bring to the world. I started to think like, maybe I could be a climber someday. And then I found my way into a boxing gym and same sort of thing. A couple of sober guys scooped me up and started teaching me about boxing. And, and, um, I started to be able to like, believe in myself in this different way. And, and, and then, so as I started to heal from that, you know, found triathlon, and I, I realized I kind of transferred my, my focus onto those athletic pursuits in a way that that became my coping mechanism entirely. Mm-hmm. So you know, I'd I'd train for an Ironman and I'd finish it, and if I didn't have another race on the calendar, I felt empty.
1: Knocking doors down by Carlos Viera, now available wherever you get audio I wasn't done partying
0: and I didn't want the binge to end. I think I knew that when I finally got home, I'd have to face what I had done and I wasn't ready to do that. Being responsible for my actions wasn't something I was looking forward to. I had abandoned my wife and baby, my family and my business. I wanted to avoid the shame of returning to what I had left behind. Even though I was not yet going home, I wasn't sure I had enough resources to continue the binge.
1: Click the link in
0: the podcast description to find out more. So I had to get another one on there and then I had to pick a harder one and I had to try to qualify for the world championship. Then I did a mountain bike race, then a 24-hour mountain bike race, you know. So like I was still I was still you know trying to fill that void that I had in me with 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 sort of this time it was with accomplishments instead of with drugs and alcohol and and then you know as i did more work on my sort of early childhood trauma stuff i started to just love and accept myself for me a bit more and then i just started to love being on the bike riding with people or being out climbing with people and you know when i got to that place it made my work with the phoenix so much better in being able to help others rise, because I wasn't sort of trying to trying to fix myself at the same time. Right. I realized I could do that in parallel with them. Yeah. We could both be healing on their on our yeah. on our journeys together.
1: Yeah, I, I was watching. I think it was uh, Doctor Gabor Mate was talking about uh, childhood trauma, and you know, uh, folks such as yourself and I that can go the addiction route or because of all those things in the inferiority they can go for a crazy achievement realm and um, you know so it's it's really interesting how people like us you clear it out of the way and then it's <laughs> and then it's off to the races in a different direction i mean i i get obsessed with learning new editing techniques be it for you know the podcast video audio reels whatever it is and, and i i do have to kind of at times go okay you need to chill out a little bit embrace life get out from in front of the computer screen um and, and but it's a, it's just i think it's just a necessary part of that journey sometimes
0: yeah i i think so and i don't think anybody should be beating themselves up over it you know in the in the early days like just foundationally what when i was you know mountain biking and climbing that was way better than smoking cocaine you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. so like, right. okay, well, let's, let's, uh, you know, but at some point, if you're overtraining and you're wearing yourself down and you're not hanging out with, you know, in connection with others, cause you got to get your miles in and you're like, just always prioritizing that as opposed to self-care, then you probably should look at it too.
1: What are some tips and tools that maybe helped you start to examine that and have a healthier approach to it. Um,
0: I don't know. I mean, I think so. Um, basically, the 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 Phoenix. Should I give a little overview? For yeah, folks please. Or, yeah. yeah. So it's a nonprofit, and we use the inherent sort of transformative power of like meaningful activities and connection with others to help each other rise. um the majority of the folks that come are rising from the ashes of addiction. And we also have folks who've been impacted by substance use through loved ones. Um, but we, you just have to be 48 hours sober. That's the sort of price of admission to come and you have to adhere to a code of conduct or an ethos, which really just says we're here to lift each other up, not pull each other down. And, um, so it's pretty simple, but volunteers anywhere in the country, if you've been touched by this issue can raise their hands to say, Hey, I want to lead a bike ride. I want to do a book club. I want to do art night. I want to um, you know, teach songwriting. we are doing some music stuff, which I know you heard about. So um, it could be anything, but our roots were really in physical activity. So we started out with triathlon and climbing and, and boxing and CrossFit and yoga and meditation, all that stuff was kind of what Phoenix was built on the community. Um, so anyway, backing up to your question a little bit, which is, I, I started on my own journey of healing, but I had already started Phoenix with like a core group of friends, Mm. but I was trying to start Phoenix because if I could help people, I felt like I had value. Like, if I could rescue people, sort of how I thought of it deep inside, I don't think it was a cognitive thought, but like, if I felt like I was helping people, then I felt like I had value. And so I started telling people like about these different trauma workshops and places I heard that did this really good work on getting into early childhood stuff and one day a friend was like how come you haven't gone and i was like uh you know i was like trying to help other people but hadn't really done that level of reflection and work myself and so i went and and it just blew my mind like it just was a incredibly cathartic moment to really process sort of the why behind a lot of years of pain and and you know kind of the way i formed relationships was wasn't always healthy and what i was how i treated myself and viewed myself wasn't always healthy and and of course drugs and alcohol was a huge part of that and um so anyway that was a huge moment for me is like getting a little more help around unpacking that you know i think i think you can do a lot of that unpacking with another person who's in recovery you can do a lot with with friends and folks that are deeply sort of self-reflective and have done some of that work but sometimes you need the heavy equipment you know you need yeah. like professionals to come in and help help you um let go of some of that pain cuz yeah. with that also goes a lot of shame a lot of self-worth stuff and all of a sudden you start to realize that you have innate value in the world and and all of us have this intrinsic strength. We're born with it. Sometimes the world just teaches us that that's not true.
1: Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing, because I don't think enough. I think the more that we talk about it, especially as men, the more we can try to reach men, because you know as well as I do that... uh, women are pretty good about it when they get into the recovery or even acknowledging the problem. I mean, the level of of men that are suffering out there in the country, if you just look at the suicide rates alone, four times higher than women. And I'm not discounting because it sucks that there's a single person that we have a rate at all of suicide in our country, let alone in the world. But it, it's... You know, you and I are close to the same age and it very much, I don't know about you, was that, you know, a lot of man up talk and, you know, was, and really what ends up happening, we just shove a bunch of this stuff down. And for people like you, yourself and I it bubbles to the surface in a totally different way. And oftentimes that's justified as manly behavior. Like, oh, man, when you were out at the bar and you talked to that girl and you went home with her, dude, way to go. It's like, no, that's that's not that's not good behavior that's not that's not being a man that's not not growing up that's not being emotionally mature you know it's it's so i think it's really important that we talk and try to reach more people in general but let alone getting men to talk and it's okay it's okay if you you know you go to a group meeting if you go to therapy if you work through these things you acknowledge them let alone share them is really strong and brave
0: yeah yeah i mean i think a lot of us you know and just probably all of us right have on on some level have primary caregivers who are like working through their own stuff too right like i'm i'm a dad now and i'm still working through stuff in life and but i but i'm more thoughtful about what i'm modeling for my kids you know because of i think what i was exposed to as a kid so you know, I think that that idea that, you know, a lot of us are even trying to heal ourselves through energy we might draw from our kids, you know, and, and the truth is the energy is supposed to go the other way for kids, right? Like they're not here to heal us. We're, we're, we're helping them prepare for a world that has inherent challenges, you know, and, and, have create a safe and nurturing space for from which they can launch out you know and and i didn't really have that model when i was young and i didn't have um you know i didn't really have a model of what it looked like to be uh to be a young man you know my brother and i kind of raised each other in that way and and uh he didn't have it either so we figured it out together you know
1: yeah no and that really resonates with me as you know I was gifted with a wonderful older brother, four years older, that you know, thinking back to childhood, I mean, not that not that your sixteen year old brother should be the one that talks to you about sex or or drugs, but he did and and really actually that stuff helped. People are always amazed that you know, as someone that uh you know, struggled with alcoholism for you know, God, well over a decade and a half that, uh, you know, I didn't really drink before I was 21. I, I, I just didn't, uh, I wasn't the guy that went out partying. If I was at a party, I got the people home and, you know, all these different things. But, um, but yeah, it's a tough route when you kind of have that burden of a, of a sibling that's kind of helping raise you, so to speak, and teach you those life lessons that, um, you know, hopefully it would have come from another source, but, but Hey, we're still gifted with it. Right.
0: Yeah. I mean, and, and the truth is those caregivers are just on their best too, given what they experienced growing up too. Cause it's like, that's, you know, at some point you just got to sort of forgive everybody in the chain, you know, and start again, like start over with, with sort of fresh eyes and, a and a different way of, of creating, you know, a nurturing environment for kids to grow up in. And because my dad had had it tough too. And I'm sure my stepdad had grew up around alcoholism as well, you know, but it's, it's, uh so I'm not necessarily blaming as much as we just need to sort of forgive everybody in the chain start, start today and doing it differently.
1: And do you think that that is a, you know, We kind of develop abilities through our recovery to ditch the victimhood mentality and through that, you know, with the growing of gratitude and everything else, like, you know, I'm now grateful for my circumstances. You know, my father's made amends to me and I went, dad, you know, it's okay. You don't realize how many young men. Uh, and some women that maybe haven't told me, but directly working with young men that I've been able to help that have had similar circumstances now, like these these things that I always just felt so much like victimized by became such a wonderful asset to be of service to other people. I, I, I I've let go of any, rem, you know, resentment and anger and angst and it's it's just not even present anymore
0: yeah and and i i sort of went through that too i mean i think my one of my earlier goes at sort of healing from some of my early childhood stuff i it was very a lot of outward anger at my dad and some at my mom too because i felt like she sort of abandoned me to that some of that treatment and um but the real healing for me was to to be authentic to myself, right, and honest about with them, um, about whether or not I even talked to them about it, but in my heart, be honest with them about the impact that it had on my life and be able to forgive them, you know, because they themselves had their own own experiences that that imprinted on them. And had them showing up that way in my life so you know that was a that was a big shift like it was one thing just to sort of have the anger and like express that anger but it was another to be able to do that and also find a place where where i could sort of forgive them and and create like healthy boundaries that's the Mm. other part that's tough too is like and for 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 me that meant my healthy boundary with my father was that he wasn't in my life in his later years you know and that's hard to do but that was actually the way i could love him the most was to to not have him in my life and and my mom it was different we could she was in a place where we could talk it out and process it together and she also made amends um and so you know it's i think it's different for everybody and it's also different depending on what the what the traumas were you know for some you can there still needs to be some accountability for, for folks actions. I'm not asking for a clean slate, you know, because I've done some work. Like I still did stuff I regret in my addiction and tried to make amends where I could. So I think that's also part of it.
1: Yeah. Um, boundaries are, are just so imperative in, in life, uh, in general and, I mean they're tough for anyone to really identify like hey what is a boundary and let alone how do I set one and you know it's when I've asked people for a definition I said I guess the best way I can put it is this is where I end the other person starts that's where they end and where I start and where the buffer zone and you know owning our own thoughts feelings actions etc and it's a real challenge not to um you know when you're talking about about you know, your, your folks and your stepdad to, to really be able to embrace. Yeah. They're a person of circumstance too, and not take it personal.
0: Yeah. And to have, you know, there's, I have some compassion too for them because they had some tough stuff. So, um, you know, that's, that's the thing is I, I think that the longer I do the work with the Phoenix and the more, you know, I've, We've served close to three hundred thousand people total wow. with Phoenix uh, prog- Free Recovery Support programs, and and what has really taught me is that we're all we're, we're all sort of um, healing from something, <laughs> the human condition maybe, and we all have this innate value, and and we all have this intrinsic strength. And that no matter what the world or our circumstances has sort of taught us that, that that is true, no matter what, you know, and you get, when you get to a point then where you can just see people for who they are, not, not identify them as their circumstance, right? It's a person experiencing homelessness, not a homeless person, right? That's not their identity. And that's why I, you know, talk about struggling with substance use, but I don't, refer to myself as an addict you know Mm. like i struggle with substance use there was a time i went through addiction but i think if we just think of ourselves as as an addict as an alcoholic that that becomes part of our identity that's that is a piece of us but it is not our whole story there's so much more to our story um so i think it's just something to think about
1: yeah no thank you for that and and I think that is important right? when people ask, you know, maybe the question of who are you? You know, I, I don't lead with the, well, I'm an addict uh, in, in recovery or a recovering addict or, um, you know, I, I've, I'm always cautious about ever saying I'm a recovered addict. I don't know. I think maybe that'll be I'll be able to say that when I when I meet my maker, so to speak. But, you know, I, I lead with, uh, well, I'm empathetic. Uh, I'm you know i'm compassionate uh i'm you know a passionate person about certain you know it's not it's not at the forefront of, of my identity it's you know uh you know i'm a i'm a man of faith uh, etc it's not it's not really what i what i put out there it's uh you're right it's like no it's a circumstance in a period of my life that has thus thrust me into a totally different space that I wouldn't have even imagined I would have gone to if you'd said at 22, Hey, guess where you're going to be in 13 years or 23 years.
0: And how incredible, you know, what you're doing and how you're bringing inspiring sort of messages to so many people and helping people see into all these different lives, you know, to see how people have navigated the world. And, you know, I think it's, it's incredible what you're doing because oh, you. we, 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 we often judge each ourselves so harshly against other people. You know, we see something and we think, why does my life not look like that? Or we hear about somebody's accomplishment and why does my life not look like that? And I think when you really tell all the facets of somebody's story, it sort of humanizes us to each other and you start to think like, wow, that was inspirational. Maybe if that guy made it, I could too or that person accomplished something great but there was this humility there that makes me think that maybe i could do that too
1: yeah oh and you're spot on i mean to uh to be transparent with you when uh when uh colette weintrobe and brian hooks were telling me about you it immediately ego came first like Oh my God, he's around the country and helping so many people and doing so much. And I immediately went into that compare state, and I had to go whoa, 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 whoa. slow, slow back, back up the apple cart here of self judgment, Jason. Like, <laughs> do you realize you've just had the opportunity to meet someone? The ego is out of, uh, I would say envy, but let's reframe that in my own head to, ooh have envy in the fact that this is someone that you're you're hoping to get to know so that your your service potentially could grow greater. You know what I'm saying? It's like it, yeah. all of a sudden it allowed it to eject the ego and you know not sit there and go why didn't i get sober 26 years ago oh yeah i wasn't even totally inactive of addiction 20 26- <laughs> you know what i'm saying it's it's all these thought processes and you know just sharing how how mine works sometimes with certain things you know uh <laughs>
0: you know? yeah well and the truth of it is like now you know when we come together and we leverage our each of our unique gifts um we can contribute in a way that's so much more meaningful because we're doing it together. And like, when we first talked, I just knew without a doubt, like you would be key in like helping Phoenix get to more people around where you live, you know, cause you just have that, you just have that in your heart. You want to, we, we, I think when we all get into recovery, right. You kind of feel like you're getting out of this burning building, but, but what that signaled to me is like, you're the kind of person that wants to reach back in and, and get some more folks out of that building
1: yeah thank you um and you're right that 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 yeah sorry that touched me a little bit hmm. <clears throat> anyways all right <laughs> i want to ask you before we get the random questions because i i i've heard it briefly but you know i like to ask people about the moment of clarity and and if you recollect where you were at and circumstances and and just really that surrender as we often call it
0: yeah i mean i think when i when i actually stepped into recovery from substances yeah for me for me it was uh it was probably felt like a little bit the opposite of clarity (laughs) because it was (laughs) a pretty polluted you know kind of brain that was trying to muddle through all this stuff but you know just my last night using was you know it was just totally paranoid, like on a bender for a bunch of days and locked up in my apartment and just like kind of knew in my heart that if I stayed on this path, that that's how my life would end, you know? And, and the idea of somebody having to tell my mom, um, that her son overdosed and they found him in some apartment, you know, and, you know, this and that just broke my heart. And I think that was just on top of, you know, the, all the other sort of compounding, um, dark nights, you know, one on top of another for stretched out over a long period of time, you know, it just, I just woke up and something was different in my heart that day. And I didn't drink and use that day. And Mm -hmm. that was day one, you know, and, and then just started piecing them together, but had to, had all this, um, energy I needed to put somewhere. And so that's by finding the boxing gym that just kind of saved me because I would just be in there all day. You know, I trained myself and then, then I would be there to help out my coach with new people and show them just how to wrap their hands. And then I learned how to hold the mitts and I'd hold the focus mitts. And, and then I would just go there on a Saturday with my gym bag, you know, when the, before the gym opened. And there were a couple other guys that were always there and we'd meet out front and, go inside and train all day and help train others and then go home and and it just sort of kept me out of that that lifestyle so i think that was my big moment is like just realizing that that so many of my dreams have been stripped away by this way i was living and i didn't want to live like that anymore yeah
1: Were you always an athletic person, like competitive in high school and everything else? Or this is just a later in life kind of... (laughs)
0: Later in life kind of thing. Like I was... uh I always joke but it's kind of true i was like the guy smoking a cigarette outside the bar and be like who are you running from when joggers would go by you know like <laughs> stuff like that i just wasn't i wasn't uh super athletic in those days i was on a dart team if you consider that ath- athletic <laughs> but, um,
1: <laughs> that sounds like uh, most of my bar buddies
0: <laughs> yeah so but um but when i got sober and i was in the boxing gym my coach said, you got to start doing some road work, right? Because you got to get your fitness up and your cardiovascular fitness. And I said, what's that? And he's like, oh, just run two or three days a week, you know, three miles. So I was like, all right, cool. I can do that. And I tried to run. I ran like 300 yards. I was like, oh my gosh, this is terrible. <laughs> I was like, I had to walk home. And But then I just started running like 400 yards and then five. And then, you know, I just started piecing it together and like run walking and, and, and just, it gave me something to focus on that wasn't just about the stuff that I feel like I had failed at, you know, it gave me something positive to kind of put my focus and energy towards. And pretty soon I was training hard in the gym and running three miles a couple of days a week. And, and then you know heard about a half marathon thought man i wonder if i could ever do that and then i just kept getting sort of bit by the bug you know i was like i wanted to try more and more and it opened up all these adventures to me and even though it was sort of a negative coping mechanism in some ways because of the extreme nature of some of the stuff i did the the positive was inherent in every single one of those activities was this moment that helped me sit a little taller and a little prouder of who I am. Mm -hmm. And because so much of that had been eroded by stuff I experienced when I was young. And, uh, and I feel like I kind of got to meet myself for the first time in those years. So,
1: yeah, it's uh, a common saying that uh, addicts have two lives, right? We get a, (laughs) we kind of go through whatever phase. And then we do kind of get an awakening to ourselves and the, and the exploration. That's the exciting part that I try to tell newcomers, like you have yet to check out who you are and it's really cool. And trust me, the longer you do this, the cooler it gets.
0: It is true. Yeah, it's really, it is really true. And, and the, what I love about it is the, the longer you do it, To me, it's not so much about the time, it's just about the relationships you build around you. So when you're shocked by life, like all of us are, I don't have to pick up and use or drink because I have so many people to turn to that love and care about me. And honestly, that's what I was looking for in the drinking and drugging anyway, was like connection and, and acceptance from others. And in the recovery, I actually found it.
1: Did you ever do any 12-step work or what's kind of been any other approach or exploration of spirituality? What kind of have been some of those modalities for you? Yes, to all of them.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I, I, you know, because I was seeking, you know, I did a bunch of different stuff and I've worked the steps and had a sponsor and, you know, through some of my climbing got to go, you know, feel blessed. to have gotten to go to some like, the oldest Buddhist temple in Kathmandu and just see like these really spiritual places and, you know, explored faith and, and a bunch of other stuff. So it's just like, I feel like, um I feel like it just opened my mind to like all the possibilities about how we can connect and feel of value and feel a sense of purpose. And, and also where, where we're powerless, you know, and be able to turn that stuff over. And, um, so yeah, I've had a little bit of the, the the whole spectrum there.
1: (laughs) Let me ask you before we kind of start wrapping up and head towards some random questions. Um, do you think that there's an area of the population or industry that is kind of truculent about ever asking for help through your time and your being of service to others?
0: Um, I think that there are little pockets in our society where we still have some stigma around people asking for help and being vulnerable. And I think it's often the folks that we, that we put in the most difficult situations. You know, I think I was an EMT in early recovery and I think first responders, um, there's there's stigma around, you know, at least there was then, maybe there's not as much now, but around sort of asking for help or being vulnerable or opening up, you know, you're just expected to see this really tough stuff every day and get up the next day and go do it. And you're supposed to be the one with the lights and the sirens. So you're, you gotta be the one showing up for everybody to lean on or sort of save the day. And the truth is, it's really hard to witness that much pain and, And I think, you know, law enforcement, first responders in the military, you know, sort of cultures where we, that sort of feels like it has to be perpetuated this toughness to, to get through. But, but I think actually the really, the toughest people I've ever met are folks that are able to tap into that vulnerability, lean on each other in the right times, but, but tap into their own strength when it's needed. And and I always think of it as like climbing a mountain together. It's like y- you may be the person who gets us through certain parts of the terrain, but in other terrain, I may be better. And you may have to lean on me, but that's actually how we get to the top, right? There's some days you're carrying more weight and there's some days I am, but by doing it together, we can accomplish incredible things, you know? So I think that's, that's the spirit. I'd like to see a little more in those spaces.
1: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I just had a friend of mine on that 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 her addictions um, uh, started from her PTSD as a RN and working in the emergency room, and and I've seen it. You know, God, I'm trying to think all the people. I mean, I've had high performance lawyers, executives, uh, especially firsthand having friends that were first responders, and then and this is of my active addiction, hanging out with friends that were firefighters, cops. Etc. Friends that were in or had been in the military, and boy, you know the morbid sense of humor that oftentimes, went it with it as a coping mechanism, and so I was like, oh my god, I can say some morbid stuff, but you guys like, oh my goodness, <laughs> and um, and it's hard, and it is hard, you know. It's it's unfortunate because I think a lot of people, like you said, are in that situation of leadership, and so it's. You know, if I'm vulnerable, then I'm not a good leader. Forgetting that that everyone needs a mentor and everyone needs to be a mentee. You know, there's not a point where you reach the pinnacle where you don't need to reach out to people anymore for mentorship. It just it doesn't work that way in life. It's foolish.
0: Yeah, I mean, I find that that was actually part of you know, stand together and Brian Hooks and those guys you talk to, like the they helped us with this idea of like principled entrepreneurship is actually how phoenix can can grow to reach even more people and the idea that by leveraging the unique gifts of everybody that's part of phoenix volunteers and staff and whoever like somebody's going to come up with the next innovative way to get to more folks to bring phoenix into prisons to help folks that are serving in the military to to bring youth programming into Phoenix, whatever it is. And if we can just find that sort of space for everybody to bring forth their unique gifts and creativity, that's actually how we're going to address addiction in our country, right? By getting everybody in the fight, including the people that are struggling, and knowing that within them is actually part of the solution, you know, if, if they can get into recovery. So I think that that was a huge moment for me in just my growth as a leader, where it was less, I thought I had to be out in front leading always, but instead I create a space now where I'm leaning on others when they have strengths that I don't, and they can lean on me when I have strengths that they, they don't. And that's how we can get further.
1: Absolutely. Uh, Scott if you want to tell uh, people more about the Phoenix how they can uh, find out more maybe get active in their community or just reach out and, and ask some questions how can what's the best way to do so
0: yeah just go I mean go to the phoenix.org or pull down the Phoenix app it just says the Phoenix a sober community in the app store and uh open it up and it'll geolocate activities near you and if there's none near you you can be the volunteer to start it and um and regardless, you can volunteer, even if there's a bunch of stuff around you already, but that's the best way to get involved and to learn more. And you can also go to one, <clears throat> one million That's a, a music initiative we're doing with the music industry and, and artists and, and fans to create sober supportive spaces at music shows across the country and to, to change the, the culture. A little bit around drug and alcohol use in the music space
1: yeah yeah well and that's the area that uh, that i'm going to be entering and starting to do more help in as someone that worked in the rock radio industry for 20 years i definitely had my experiences so i'm excited about that i think it probably won't come to to fruition until 2024 but uh it's it's going to be pretty exciting to hopefully get some of those things happening at concerts and especially the music festivals where the most amount of Drugs, alcohol, and some of the things that are pretty scary out there, you know, hopefully it's everything from fentanyl test strips to Narcan distribution or whatever it is. You know, there's a a real active movement movement there that like, hey, there's lots of people like me. I still love my heavy metal, but I don't have to drink a drug to have a good time. So yeah, that's know. great. Yeah, that's awesome. going to be exciting. All right. Some uh, random questions for you. Are you ready? Good, sir. Yes, sir. Um, have you ever had a nickname?
0: Yeah. <laughs> Uh, nickname no i haven't i think there was like a time when i was younger where i wanted a nickname like i was like oh you can just call me strode or whatever but i never really had a nickname so i feel a little (laughs) left out on that one if you come up with a good good one i'll try to try to get it to take hold
1: yeah i I just figured maybe we came from the that generation where you know the PE teacher always used your last name you know (laughs) know? (laughs) yeah that's true right uh I mean, we all probably in relationships get like, oh, the babe or whatever it is, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> yep. But um uh if you could have one superpower, what would it be?
0: Um what would it be? Um oh geez. I mean, it's hard not to go like just the Superman route, which is kind of the cop out where you can pretty much do anything. You just gotta stay away from kryptonite, you know? So <laughs> um, but I don't know. I think the um yeah i don't know i think i think i'd have to go with superman in general but i feel pretty fortunate to have just um like this intuitive feel about people um because that's been a gift in in the work i do so i'd just stick with that one
1: absolutely um who inspires you um
0: (laughs) <laughs> uh, lots of people i mean i think everybody that comes to the phoenix everybody who's sort of part of the phoenix movement even the philanthropists that like support our nonprofit, um, because they're saying i want to see the world be a different place and i want to be part of that change and um and the phoenix community just scoops each other up with love all the time you know and i think a lot of society sees us as like the folks on the fringe of society, folks with active addiction and whatnot, but, but we've actually built a really amazing, like nurturing community across the country. And, and that's a huge inspiration. And then of course, my wife just always helping me, um, on this journey as parents together and, and in our partnership. And so certainly her,
1: um, do you consider that you still have any bad habits? Um, yes,
0: I do <laughs> for sure. I mean, I think, I think the pandemic was tough for me with just like, like sweets, you know, because like <laughs> yes, Uber, eats, Uber eats like an Instacart and everything. Like you can just, in the old days, you used to be like, oh man, I wish we had ice cream, but we don't. So, oh, well now you're like 15 minutes later, boom, it shows up. So I think that's something I'm still, I've always been working on. So.
1: Yeah, all the same. That's still my biggest vice for sure, sugar. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's a tough one, tough one to kick in the same way. So,
1: yeah, and it's not an everyday habit, but boy, there's times like I just want some ice cream, just like you mentioned, or I have a thing for, for red vines and jelly bellies. And it's yeah, just, they're, you just, know.
0: they're dangerous, man. <laughs>
1: uh, um, do you have any uh, couple of things maybe on a bucket list that you haven't done that you still want to do?
0: Yeah. I mean, I think I would like to like train in earnest for another athletic pursuit. I don't know what it would be. You know, I, I like CrossFit. I've, I'd like to maybe compete in the master's division someday. Um, probably need a little more time in my schedule than I have right now at, at the Phoenix, but, but I think someday in the future do that. Cause you know, you see some folks out there that are in there, you know, They're in their 60s, they're in their 70s, and they're competing. And so there's, I think that would be a cool thing to do.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty gnarly. It's, uh, it's awesome to see. Um, all right. This is always a fun one. Um, I know that you were featured in Brian's book, but uh, let's say you find you, you have your own book and somebody wants to license it as a TV show or a movie. Who would you want to play you, adult you?
0: Oh. Oh my gosh. I just talked to my wife about this. It was uh I didn't really know. I was trying to come up with a name because we were just joking about this the other night. And uh she said, is it Andrew Scarsborough? Yeah. Yeah, he's like a tall dude. He's actually in uh, succession. Yeah. That show now. And so I'd say him because cause I'm tall too, and and uh if he got the right haircut, <laughs>
1: you
0: know, could pull it off.
1: Right. Uh all right. One last one. Um, what is something, uh, about you that people might be surprised to learn? Maybe it's a interesting hobby that you don't talk about or could be anything.
0: Um, oh, wow. That's a good one too. See, this is funny because I actually listened to some of your other random questions for other guests and I had like answers, but you didn't ask <laughs> any of the same ones. So you <laughs> kind of threw me for a loop. I think that, um, I don't know. I mean, this is probably not a surprise to many people, but something I don't share a lot. You kind of mentioned it earlier, but like when I find something that I'm passionate about, I like want to become a student of it. Like I want to learn everything about it. I like blow up, blow up on YouTube and just like watch every single video on on like you know whatever camera i'm into and then i try to learn how to take pictures and do all the like cool tricks that photographers do with it and you know a year later that could be gravel bikes learning about learning about gravel bikes and you know what trip do i want to plan on a gravel bike and i haven't never done one but i have one you know it's like i just like to get into stuff and learn as much as i can about it and that's actually paid off for me a lot in life just just around the work at the Phoenix and and all the different disciplines that Phoenix teaches and people get to experience here.
1: Yeah. Now curiosity is a must. I mean, what is it Walt Whitman always be curious not judgmental and like man i I am such a curious person. I can relate. I'll give you one more because most people go, man, you didn't ask me this one. Uh, If you could have dinner with any one person living or not, who would it be and why? Most people say that's that's the question they
0: want. That is the question. Um, uh, Muhammad Ali. How nice. I would love to be able to like, you know, sit and just chat with him. And I was so inspired by just like all, all the things he did in life and and um and also just as a boxer to see a guy that size move that way we haven't really seen heavyweights like that granted they were a little smaller back then but to see people with that athleticism um was super inspirational so i'd mm-hmm. love to and just to hear about the real dirt on the on the foreman fight and uh, uh, <laughs> joe frazier <laughs> fight you know, Cause there was all these sort of giants that met in the ring at, at that same period of time. So I met him when I was a little kid really, and uh, he did like a candy bar promotion and I waited in line forever. And he gave me a melted candy bar in the summer and he mm. said some poem to me and I can't remember what it was. Cause I was like four. So, okay. wow. um, but yeah, I'd love to hang out with him sometime.
1: That is cool. Yeah. I, as someone that's a fan of boxers m- myself, I mean, goodness, uh, the this, this smorgasbord of people that I'd love to have been able to be like at a table, you know, it's like, and a huge basketball fan would be like, oh, I'd love to have Magic Johnson there. But then bring Kareem. Oh, Kareem knew Bruce Lee. Bring him. And they knew, you know, Ali and, and bring oh, yeah. Foreman because I'm a Foreman fan. And Sugar Ray Leonard is probably my biggest inspiration, not because of In the Ring, but what he shared you know, going through sexual abuse and, and his uh, uh, recovery. And it's like, man, so many wonderful people that just, yeah, I'm with you on that. That's cool. Uh, all right. This is where I turn it over to you. As I said, before we started recording the Jerry Springer moment, you get the final <laughs> words. Just, I always ask, you know, anything you'd want to drop for someone that's out there struggling. We do have family members of loved ones uh, who are struggling that uh, that you'd want to share.
0: Yeah. I'd say, um, I'd say one of the biggest things you can do is, is, is with healthy boundaries, set up a a way of telling that person that you still love them and care about them and that you're there for them if they need it. doesn't mean you're paying for treatment or giving them 20 bucks or letting them stay on your couch or any of that. It just means that if they want to sit with you on a park bench sometime and just be together that you love them and you miss them and you care about them and you believe in them and do your own work because granted, you're probably part of a dynamics in some way. So do your own work and see if any piece of, of what you're going through is rubbing off on other folks in a negative way. And, and, um, even if they don't come along with you in the recovery journey, um, whatever that means, then keep doing your own work.
1: Website is thephoenix.org. Please go check it out. Uh, Scott Strode, thank you very much. Thanks for having me on. On that note, keep knocking doors down. This is the Knocking Doors Down podcast, featuring celebrities, experts, and everyday people who have overcome adversities, including addiction, mental health and trauma to live purposeful lives. And that's what Knocking Doors Down is all about.